Katie. I'm Erica. And this this is is Book Talk. Hi, Erica. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is your weekly podcast book club, and we are at the end of our most recent book club read, The Guide by Peter Heller. So in this last episode, we'll talk about the last section, but also themes from this book. So this is your chance. If you have not finished the book, do not proceed. Stop <laughs> everything you're doing. Finish the book because we're about to spoil the ending for you. Things really got crazy in this section, which was full of action. Jack and Allison um, confront the Takajis on their walk back and confirm our most terrifying prediction, Erica's most terrifying prediction, that the kids are being used for their antibodies against disease and they're being held against their will. And Jack and Allison decide they have to do something about it. And on their way to get up to the lodge, um, Jack gets attacked by Cody, who Allison proceeds to kill. And then they make their way up to the office to try to call for help, but realize they can't make any outgoing calls and they can't get out of the gate. Um, So they break into the office, become armed to the teeth, and head up to the lodge to save the kids. Um, After a major firefight, dynamite, there are people dying, there are hidden spaces. They escape in a Tesla, okay, and they get to a really calm spot where they camp out for the night and wait for Allison's friend to rescue them. Um, the boy lives, it makes the news, and we end with Jack sitting at home eating dinner. So this was, <laughs> that's it, folks. That's how this book ended. This is our last episode, and we had a great guest lined up for the podcast, a one Mr. Peter Heller himself, but... I'm, I swear this is true, and this is the funniest thing ever. They, like, his agent cannot get a hold of him. He's just, like, off the grid somewhere. In my mind, he's fly fishing with Allison Kay. <laughs> I think that's what's happening, because he's he's off the grid. He's traveling He's literally off locations. the grid, which is hysterical. But anyways, not hysterical for us, because I would have loved to talk to him, <laughs> but hopefully we will talk to him soon, and we'll just release that whenever we have a chance to have that conversation. In the meantime, I searched high and low and wide and deep for a suitable guest to talk about this book with us, and I found the most handsome and available saxophone player who also happened to be reading the guide, and he was just happened to reading my copy, which is like crazy. Anyways, welcome to the podcast. Happy Dan. to have you, Dan White. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Do you want to give yourself a formal intro about who you are? Oh, wow. That's a lot of pressure. Um, my name is Dan White. I'm a musician living in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I play in a band called Hunter Tones, and I do audio and production on this really dope podcast called Book Talk. <laughs> Happy to be here. It's the highlight of your week, right? Helping us with the Book Talk podcast? Absolutely. We're coming to you live from Brooklyn, from Studio A, which also happens to be our bedroom. Uh (laughs) I'm not in Studio B, which is their bathroom, um, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) So since you haven't given us, you know, we've already kind of alluded to some of our thoughts, but Dan, what's your overall feeling about Peter's writing style and the overall flow of the book? Like, what did you think about it in a technical sense? Um, I think... Right off the bat, I enjoyed the way that he described the, you know, nature, the scenes of the fly fishing and sort of romanticized that. Um, That was sort of a very nice, 
like escape fiction kind of thing, building another world, which is something that a lot of times I look for. A lot of times I'll read too many nonfiction and then get burnt out. And so this very much filled that that void for me. Yeah, I was like, I think I need to go on a trip to a remote stream somewhere, but maybe one with like, you know, less crime happening. But I and I like that, too. I think he was really good at setting up the scene of nature, making you feel like you were there while writing this kind of like crazy story. Um, so I did like that, too. I feel like his actual style of like short sentences when he's trying to create suspense he would be like, but then he didn't, period. She did, period. And I was like, what's happening here? So that part was a little, I understand what he was trying to do by like the short sentences creating this like sense of urgency or sense of suspense, but I don't know how I feel about that part of it. Yeah, I think he spends a lot of time describing this beautiful, lush landscape and the beauty of fly fishing and the like technical aspects of fly fishing but does not give the same amount of attention maybe to like the plot. So I would have been fine (laughs) if the minimalism and like attention, I just feel like it focused way too much on the parts of the story that were actually not that important. It was like the dressings of the story, but that part was what was done the best in my mind. It's like describing the landscape, describing like the fences. I feel like we learned so much about the structure of the fences around the property, and it's like was not even that important of a point. Just to it show was the literally not are connected because they have the same fence. Yeah, there was a lot of time they spent on things that I felt like were not important. I don't know that like all these details that I was trying to like remember and write down, like the fences and the way that the hills were, and they ended up just like getting out of the gate with a code, and using dynamite to get in places. Hmm. And then, I, I mean, I also think it was a very inviting style of, uh, I don't know, it showed me how much, how little I know about fly fishing. Like, I know nothing about fly fishing. Uh, <laughs> Have you been fly fishing? And so describing, fishing? absolutely not. Uh, no. Um, I And I haven't even been fishing much. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it's like describing, you know, looking for the insects because those are what the fish are eating and like, you know, describing catching the fish and then putting it back. Uh, I didn't know that that was like part of the whole thing. Plus his description of breakfasts was really, Listen, those really pancakes? special stuff. Yeah. Big <laughs> fan of that. Spread. Yeah, I made some pancakes last week because of it. I also, yes, <laughs> also made pancakes. I feel like his his writing, writing is so descriptive and like there's so much imagery. Like I felt like I was at that lodge. I felt like I was trying to figure out how I can go stay at a remote relaxing lodge for a week. But the actual plot does kind of get a little bit lost in that. But, and I think he just could have done a little bit more. I think the plot is still there. Like it was still suspenseful. In reading the last section, I was like, what is going to happen? Are they going to make it out alive? So I definitely was like reading it quickly. He definitely created the suspense, but... I want to know what you two thought of this ending, of this last section. Yeah, the ending got exciting. Um, you know, as as a fan of you know action movies and whatnot, you know the everybody being trained to know how to use a firearm was a little <laughs> strange, I suppose. But you know, it it went to like a an interesting action packed kind of thing. I started losing uh, losing some things like. I thought the the moment that he got into the room where the treatment was being done, like that was a really like dark and like weird uh, image 
to to take in. Um, and I thought the moment that you know that he killed Den, that was like really it didn't relish it it it, it he extinguished that moment so quickly, which he mentioned in it like I sh- shouldn't have done that when he shot him twice, but I I don't know there was and then the 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 fade out of the scene was the biggest thing that I had an issue with. Like they were on the mountainside and apparently this guy can call in the SWAT team in like under 20 minutes to scramble <laughs> right. helicopters in like a remote part of the country. That's, that's pretty remarkable. He must really, really have some pull. Uh, I don't really know how the FBI them. and yeah, <laughs> they're his squad. Uh, so here come all these retired FBI agents to save the day. Uh, no, I'm, so I, I wanted to see like actually like what happened, like how did they get picked up, or like how did you know everything kind of faded to this blur uh, into sort of this idealistic wrap it up, and I didn't really enjoy that. I wanted details. Same. Well, I'm sure as everybody can already guess, I hated this ending. <laughs> It's like, I hate an open ending period. And I really hated this one because I do not like to not know what happens. Like you gave me all this buildup. I am really engaged in the story. I need to know what's happening to these children. I need to know like, where are they coming from? What is the government's involvement? Like, are they okay? What happened to the people? They they're just on the run. We still haven't caught them. They escaped somehow also out of this airspace with their connections. I get that everybody's like well connected, but I felt like that part was none of the questions are answered and also i have some feels about the like last scene which all erica say her thought on the ending and then we can kind of go back to that but i also hated that they have all of this action and they end up like by a mountain stream and obviously everybody's escaping and their rescuers are coming in and then that's it jack and allison don't end up together we don't know if jack is okay we don't know if he ever sees the boys again if he ever like we don't know anything what happened to everyone else at the lodge like do allison and Jack ever talk I feel like it was just like every single question was left open and I understand the argument most of the times for an open ending but I feel like I'm gonna have to really be convinced that this was worth it by Erica for it to be an open ending um I will not be the one to convince you (laughs) (laughs) let me just foreshadow my feelings the thing that bothered me the most about this ending is that we discussed this a little bit last week which I was like this is a little bit COVID conspiracy and, like, not to get, like, political, but this is essentially, like, the bedrock of the QAnon conspiracy, which is that, like, the rich mm-hmm. and powerful are essentially extracting what they need from poor, helpless children. And it's like, yeah, that was it. Done. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, first I of all, no, no explanation around it. First of all, if you're taking plasma out of somebody's blood, you draw their blood and then you have to separate the plasma from the blood. And like, yes, plasma donations from people who have had COVID can be beneficial for people who have COVID, but I don't think it works like a vaccine. Like, it's not going to prevent you from getting COVID in the future. It would just help you fight the infection if you have it. It's not the same thing as the vaccine, which is giving you the like protein, mRNA knowledge to fight the vaccine when it, you get it, I, or to fight the antibodies when you get it. Oh my God, to fight the virus when you get it. But what, what if are you were words? taking the antibodies, because the antibodies are in plot. Again, yes, I feel like the point of this is that it's convoluted it's very because we don't know if, I don't know if antibodies are 
Like if I, when I had COVID, are my antibodies in my plasma? So am I giving that three month immunity to somebody? And so, but again, it's something you would just help them. It would just, it would help people who already had COVID. Yeah. But also, but also they mentioned that, oh, they're there. It's also, they're recruiting people who have had all different types of viruses to like give rich people an advantage over these other infections as well. Now I would be fine if that was the story, if it was all a con. Because we get a little bit of foreshadowing that, like, Den has had a number of, like, failures or, like, investments that didn't work out. And it would be so funny, like, a dark funny (laughs) irony if, like, this whole thing is a scam. And I would totally believe that because rich people in this world are so scared, just like the rest of us, that, like, their livelihood is going to be taken away. Their health is going to be taken away. They would do anything to hold on to that. And so if this is all a scam and they're doing all of this for nothing – that to me is like a compelling ending. Yeah. But the ending being like, yes, this is happening. It's all real. It happened all over the world. <laughs> LOL. Like, really? In 2021? I, yeah, I didn't feel like it was like, compelling. I don't want to feed into that like narrative, I guess. I just feel like you can't say this is all real with that, with like, it wasn't based in like any kind of even basic <laughs> science. I don't know. Like, it didn't. It was not compelling how that ended, and I felt very, like, annoyed at the ending. It was a very unsatisfying ending. Also, the Takajis were in the room. What? What? They were like, we're going to leave. We didn't realize these kids are being restrained. We were told they're so upset. And then he walks into the room, and they're there? And that's just, like, glossed over. He, like, right. sees them. Right. If Theranos has taught me anything, it's that what you would do is you would take the plasma, the blood from these children, whip it up in this special machine, and then just, like, hand it to people in, like, a fancy vial or, like, in a fancy-looking contraption. You wouldn't strap them to the kids. That's obviously, like, not a good selling point. But it was also so frustrating because we had such high hopes for the Takajis. And they were Mm -hmm. like, well, you can't leave, and there's a risk that you might have COVID now. And so they were like, actually, you know what? Screw the kids. (laughs) Like, what? Yes, Dan, so what did you think about that part? Yes. Agreed. Um I, I I also like I, I didn't get too bothered by the technical uh chemistry or biological things that I don't understand. Sometimes I kind of like, you know, Jurassic Park taking the DNA out of a an insect. It's like, sure, <laughs> yeah. throw it into a frog. That makes sense. All right, <laughs> moving on. Dinosaurs, let's get to that. Um and so, you know, the fact that he's not necessarily a, you know, medical expert. Um, I, I'm, I'm cool with the make-believe, but yeah, it, it, I, it definitely seemed sort of like a, um, wealthy people doing anything they can to stay youthful and to stay healthy. Um, I didn't necessarily just think about it in terms of a vaccination, uh, thing. I more thought of it as those two things of like trying to be just trying to have a step up on the rest of the population secretly doing whatever they can, um, and yeah, in terms of a branding move, having the human being that you're sucking the blood from sitting next to you, that's a real no-go. I don't know how you would sell that on even the worst evil wealthy people Yeah, people the want world. to pretend like they're so. not evil. They do not want to be confronted with their evil. They want it nicely packaged up for them exactly. so they can pretend that it's not evil. They do not want to exactly. look at the child. It's not that they don't want I mean, want I want at least smart villains. Like, come on. <laughs> But yeah, I, I also think there was definitely an opportunity to sort of do, um, you know, the the larger uh, rich and poor, good and evil sort of uh, plot work at the end, which 
there was not really much of that to happen. And there was a really great opportunity to kind of play with that um, and have a bit more of like an existential uh, thing. You know, that's that's part of what makes Star Wars Star Wars. That's part of what makes the best stories what they are. It's like it can be boiled down to, you know, good and evil or like a very clear uh, larger picture. I, yeah, I think there was just a lot of opportunity to like tie in some actual themes at the end that just were not close. Like I could probably deal with not knowing if Allison and Jack were together. If we would have heard more about like what happened to the kids and what happened to this fishing lodge, like anything about it. And I, I agree. I think like we talk about this a lot that Erica likes when stories are uh, like can be true. Like if the Royal family lines are not lining up or whatever, she's like, no, no, you can't do this. And I'm like, it's fine. I'm in the book. I don't not thinking about the science part of it, but like, I do need you to close the make-believe loop for me. Like, I need you to be like, oh, they did actually save this many people, like, you know, give this many people a healthful life or whatever. Like, I need you to tie it together somehow, even if it's completely false. And I just feel like they didn't. I also, um, oh, Den, like, he had an opportunity to talk to him. And he does just kill him, and he immediately regrets it. That scene was, like, so chaotic anyways. Was Den in the lion? I was really confused about the lion. The moment he mentioned the sawdust, I was like, oh, taxidermy. Got it. I'm just like still confused. Like, so was he just like hiding behind it? Like this part was so chaotic compared to like yeah. the rest of the book. I feel like he just got tired of that in the end. I don't know. Yeah, it went from like a... It went from like a thoughtful period piece almost of like you're in the Colorado countryside and like things are sort of moving slowly and it's like very lush landscapes to like, oh, we have an AK, like shit is getting real. Now yeah. you're watching James Bond. I'm like, what is like the, just the turn I think was a lot. And I feel like if it was more action packed throughout or maybe the action scenes were like spliced up, it would feel a little more natural. But that transition felt like really jarring. And then I feel like in that whole last scene. I was really confused about like who is where and he just left Allison open in a field. I right. just could not. And then they're running with sticks of dynamite. I'm just like, what the f hell is going on? I can't place it. And also it just felt like such an abrupt shift. I was not expecting that at all. Right. And like, I, I just kept being really confused on what was being blown up. Like, are the kids okay? Did somebody blow up the house, which was shaking and now I know that wasn't the case, but I'm like, where, what's happening here? And like, in comparison to the outlawed scene, the bank scene where I, it was like very detailed out where everybody is, what their part of it was, where they were going and how they survived. That it was like, it was chaotic, but I knew what was going on. And here I was just like, so, and then they get out and they just stop following them. Also know. the kids, what happened to the kids? What about the children? There's not much, Right. Where are they now? I, I need still to know. Just, <laughs> I also feel like, can you just shoot somebody in cold blood? Like, he's not up for any, like, legal ramifications for what he did. When he shot who? Den? Yeah. And, like, shot at all the security guards and just, like, was blowing stuff up. Like, I feel it reminds me of, <laughs> it reminds me of the other guys the one of the this movie which is just like hysterical where they're like it, they have these insane car chases sort of like what's the car movie the car movies fast and furious sort of like fast and furious 
And at the end of one of them, they're like, um, was it really worth $50 million in property damage just to get these like two guys who had an outstanding <laughs> permit? And they're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's how I felt with this. Like, is it really worth it for this one guy? Like, why does Jack have to go in and be the mercenary to like kill everybody with all of these weapons? And then he's just like at home like, oh, yeah, nothing happened. Well, I'm totally fine now. Yep, like, yep. dude, you killed somebody. It also might be about that whole, his history with Wynn. Oh. And like what he failed to do. Pivot. Um, to save him. And so maybe there was inaction in his past, which caused him to, you know, take up arms. and. Now, this is how, this is how desperate I am to find out what happened with Wynn. What I learned later is that this book is a follow-up to Peter's other book, The River. So Jack is a repeat character from the river, which describes what happens with with Jack and Wynn. And yes, I did go get the river because I have to know. That's how much I have to know what happened. But now I'm mad because advertise it as a sequel then. If you're going to reference what happened in the other book so much, then why would you tell people that this is a standalone book? Like, I feel like it's fine to have a character follow through a couple of books, but then then don't overlay the plots like that. Like, then don't reference Win as much as you do because just like Dan, I was still asking the whole time, what about Win? What even happened? And it just, that that part was frustrating. But I will be reading The River and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> I also agree though. I think, yeah, we never know what happens to Win really. And I also feel like that could have really been in a sentence or like, it didn't need to be the whole book describing what had happened. But we could have, we could have been better with a summary. But I also think, yeah, I think Jack wants to redeem himself for what happened with Wynn and with his mom and feel like he was the one. But I also feel like it was just there were other ways this could have gone. It probably wouldn't have been as compelling to read the end, but he had the code. I'm like, you guys could have just, you know, gotten the truck and escaped with the correct code with your gun and probably gotten out and gotten to town and then called Vince and they could have gone in with like a whole SWAT team would have been a little less chaotic than you I mean, of course, Allison can hunt and use whatever gun he gave her. She's like, obviously, I'm a pro. So, I mean, of I get course, it. I'm a woman written by a man. I know how to use every gun. Locked and loaded. Locked and loaded, baby. She's probably looking so cute with her little gun, too, out there, just, like, looking adorable. I, But, I mean, he could have done this a different way, and it obviously would have been less chaotic or, like, interesting to read. But he still could have been the hero. I don't know. I'm just really confused with this book wrapped up. To come back and make it a compliment sandwich, um, as somebody who lives in an apartment in the city, uh, reading about the mornings with coffee and daybreak was a, a also a very, very nice thing. I enjoyed that. That, that I did love it. In. Yeah. I you know, that was that was a very nice thing. While I was prepping for interviewing Peter, which is prep that we'll still use, um, I he was talking about his writing, his approach to writing, and he is a poet, so I think that's part of where we got the like haikus um, in this section, and is very outdoorsy, of course. Also, oh, I learned that Peter is also a surfer, so Peter and I are besties. Um, <laughs> Maybe he can, yeah, that'd be great. No we hard feelings. Surf together. We can surf together. <laughs> but 
he said that he starts with a really good first line and then sort of just like follows it from there and he's much more of like let the plot lead you rather than like construct the plot before and like sort of know where you're going and I think Colleen Hoover said the same thing about Verity like she sort of just like let it unfold and then sort of solved it towards the end and I think that's pretty obvious in this book that that's what happened and he said essentially the quote that he said was like then whatever gets wrapped up gets wrapped up and whatever doesn't is just a red herring for the reader like it's just to distract you and that's not my favorite approach I don't like when I can sort of see the end and I also don't like when there's little things that you think about that maybe are not necessary I would rather go back and cut those out I don't mind the red herrings I think it does make it more you want to figure out what's going on and you and your mind are like trying to do that work and you can't you can't solve it but yeah, I do feel like it was kind of rushed. I also will say that I love books where you, like with the setting like this, um, like I'm excited to read the book in Scotland too, that have just like a very peaceful setting. And it also makes me want to like go fishing and go to a lot. So I think he did do a good job at that. I also feel like he did a good job with the Allison and Jack kind of like romance and that like building oh. up. And I hated that then nothing happened. Yeah. there's one scene where Jack's like helping her with her waiters or something and then he Mm -hmm. like looks at her and he's like on his knees in front of her and his Mm -hmm. face is like right in front of her (laughs) and (laughs) I was like okay that is hot that was like a hot moment that and then he he never talks to her I'm also mad that nothing ever happened what do you mean nothing ever happened in my head okay wait the last section when he's like she's like my beautiful friend Jack is she hallucinating or is that Jack so she's out fishing again and she's like thinking about her life. And then she basically is like, there's nothing better than this. She whispered, you try to believe it. And then she opened her eyes and saw a fisherman at the bend. He was far away, but she recognized the way he held the rod, the cadence of his cast. Jack, my beautiful friend. It's Jack. Friend zoned. <laughs> also, yeah. Did you friend zone this man in the last sentence of your book? I do feel now that you have convinced me to read romance novels more frequently, I feel like we deserve one good sex scene. Yeah, I always deserve one good sex scene. (laughs) We didn't get it. Dan, how do you feel about reading sex scenes Um, in books? I think it's also just part of like the overall build of like a storyline. And so in a relationship like that, that's non-platonic or develops into a romantic one. Yeah. I mean, you, you want some, closure you want you know action or something uh (laughs) and it's an opportunity to break from the you know the norm of of the rest of the writing and so yeah that that sort of I feel like the arc of the clues coming and 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 the strange things all sort of piling up that was enjoyable and I feel like that did come to like each each little uh, Colonel was like an interesting thing that yeah. kept you interested in, in wanting more. Um, and, you know, the phone scene under the bed was like very intense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think the from a romantic side of things, there maybe could have been a little bit more uh, exploration there or, you know, action. <laughs> <laughs> that eye robberies action. <laughs> yeah, I... I liked put, like solving the mystery with them, but and I I think the book was okay. So okay, we've we've definitely said Dan is here being the positive voice in all this. Thank God. Um, so do you want to start with your overall rating? My overall rating is three point five. 
And that's because I enjoyed the book. I just, the ending uh, wasn't, wasn't my favorite, but I enjoyed the book. I'll give it a three out of five. I do think there's a lot of interesting elements. I do feel like it was an easy book to read. I think if someone is in a book slump, this is a good one to get you going because it's exciting and you want to know what happens. And the minimalist writing style is like, it's very approachable. And I don't mean that in like a bad way. I feel like it reminded me a lot of Murakami, which is mine and Dan's, one of our favorite authors. And yeah, the lush, like the scenes, the fishing scenes. I appreciated reading something that was set in a place I have never been and a lodge I want to go to if they've gotten rid of the plasma children sucking part of it (laughs) I want to go sit on the porch and and eat some of Shay's delicious food for sure so that's my that's my overall rating Katie what about you speaking of is Shay okay like where is she okay she's on the lamb I hope I know right and her mom? I do like Ugh. that she ended up helping. I feel like Same. that was a good... Well, I he was like, I'm going to cut off your thumb. Helped. So, I mean, there wasn't right, a lot of options. <laughs> Either give me your thumb or I'll take it myself. Um, I think I'm going to get 3.5 too. I feel like I liked the book a lot until this last section. So I feel like I can't let it... I just didn't like the ending, but I think like the buildup and the, like, the character development and the clues and the scene setting was all really nice in the first three sections. And I just feel like the ending was, like, too chaotic and hard to follow and not enough closure, or it would have been a lot. If you could have done the ending better, it would have been a much higher rating for me. In Peter's interview, the one I was listening to, he also talks about the timeline for when he was writing this. So he started writing it about, the. he said, the middle of COVID. And I was like, sir, what is the middle? Does that mean we're towards the end? Because I don't know. <laughs> we're towards the end. But like, he did write it at, at some stage of lockdown. And... Dan, my question for you is, what do you think about as like a creative person, what do you think the role of creators is with dealing with COVID? Do you think they should put it in their books, in their art, in movies? Are we going to see COVID plot lines? How do you feel about that part of this book? Um, yeah, I think there's there's a positive and, and negative to it in, you know, depending on how how fictitious you want to make the whole thing or escapist versus making it very real uh but there's also an issue of like if you're writing it um in what will be the past like you're kind of making you know guesses about what it will be and if you get it right it might not be all that interesting because that's actually reality versus uh if you get it wrong then it's just so um I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I I feel like, you know, the fact that um, if I read about crowds or things like that, sort of my pandemic, like, ooh, that's that's like they should be wearing masks or like, where's the vaccine check? Or like, you know, my that does sort of like touch a nerve of like, uh, you know, self-preservation where like in real life, all of those things happen you know I, I get my mask out the moment I walk down into the subway or I go into the deli or something you know grocery store it's like it, that's just like you got to do that and so um have you know it, blatantly ignoring it is also kind of strange to me because now watching anything that's pre-pandemic it's like oh you kind of have to flip a switch 
we'll we could talk about this more in talk talk but i just finished one last stop by casey mcquiston and there's a lot of busy subway scenes in it yes and that is the same it just reminded me of like oh yeah the subway used to be packed full of people and people would like make out with each other on the subway and all these you know things that are just like not real anymore it is strange to read about a time pre-covid being post onset of covid um but it's not fun to read about at the same time it still takes you out of the story yeah i feel like it's so interesting because i know that you both feel like kind of agree in the same way I like don't think about that when I'm consuming media like when I'm watching a movie and they're in a crowd or like I just feel like it's but also this could be like the type of media that I consume too that's not what I'm like thinking about while I'm watching it I do think I feel that like self-preservation like when we like when I go out to a bar or like in real life I see people who don't have masks or if I hear about someone in real life going to like a crowded event especially here we don't have vaccine mandates um, like I feel like that hits the nerve, but like watching media, I feel like it's always like an escape from whatever I'm experiencing. And I feel like we're still in COVID. So to me, it seems like, I don't know, every movie is just set in 2017 and it's fine. But I do think if you're like right in the future, once we are ever out of COVID, if you want to write about these three to five year part, you will have to like talk about it. But I don't know if people are going to want to consume media or if we're just going to like set movies in 2017 or you know whenever this is over and we're just going to like kind of skip that unless you're trying to play to it but I don't know if I'm watching a rom-com if I want to like see them pull off their mask to check and see if it is their bumble date like I don't want to watch this (laughs) I'm not like I don't know I don't know if I want to consume media where they are experiencing COVID I feel like I experience COVID a lot all the time in my like work and regular life that I when I consume media that's the last thing I want to be thinking about right I think also it's just it speaks to like how different COVID was in New York City where so many people died and so many people got COVID and we were so scared like just it's just from you know just the congestion of the city and being so close to people all the time like the first couple weeks when things were shutting down it was like really bizarre and really scary and then also everybody in New York is so intense about mask usage that I feel that way in Columbus where I'm like oh why are we not wearing masks <laughs> but it's just a different different like socializations around it which is interesting but I think what what Peter did I think he will be remembered as one of the first people who wrote a piece of fiction about what the impact of COVID is going to be because I don't think this is a COVID book but it pushes that idea that what we think of as luxury travel is really going to be these like preserved, pristine pockets of nature and getting away from like crowded, busy cities and trying to like save little parts of land that are untouched and still beautiful. That's going to be where people are going to want to go. And then also this crazed health consciousness. I think in this near future, we've had like multiple types of different viruses. Like it's not the COVID as we know it. So like Dan said, he's making a guess about what he thinks is going to happen and how the wealthy and the famous people are going to try and get some of the goods for themselves. I, I do think that there is somewhat of a responsibility though for creative people to find a way to normalize um, public health and 
you know, things like uh, the way that um, Peter Heller talked about, you know, the outbreak in town and like how they were going into lockdown and things, whether that was truth or not, you know, that was sort of a plot point for Kurt to try and, you know, do some stuff. But, you know, speaking about masks or speaking about, um, you know, conscious concern with your health and public health um, in creative works and media, I think is going to be important in helping sort of the wider population actually take it seriously. Because, you know, outside of New York and outside of city centers, there isn't really a lot of, um, you know, people don't want to wear masks. Um, And that's, you know, nobody does. It's not like we do in, in, in New York City. But um, it's also not helping when everything you're seeing in quote unquote reality on TV mm-hmm. and stuff are they're all created with like all of this framework and bubbles and all these things that go into it so that they can avoid it completely, which then you're seeing that imagery and you're seeing that sort of social, um, you know, yeah, it's not as interesting to see someone wearing masks in a romantic comedy or something. But um, at the same time, I feel like that's the problem for creatives to work with and to solve and try and, you know, create with. I think you could do, if you're trying, like not everything has to be a dark piece, right? But I think you could do a lighthearted piece too and still incorporate COVID. Like people did have, you know, better, like started new businesses in lockdown or became closer to their kids in lockdown or things happened that weren't all, or got to spend time with family they would have never spent uninterrupted. Um, and so you could still tell, I think, happy stories and not leave out this entire section. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I think it's like you, you have it, you owe it to people to have a nod to public health, but you also want hope. And I think we struggle with this a lot too. Like you want hope for the future. You can't be like, I want everybody to wear masks and get vaccinated so we can still wear masks and get more vaccines. Like you have to be, there has to be this kind of hopefulness too. I don't know how you do this. I'm not like the person who's creating this media to consume, but this part two where you're like, if we do this, if we care about each other, if we take the precautions we need to, if we do what we're supposed to do and we listen to, you know, to the health guidance, whatever, we care about public health in general, we can get to a point where we can hug a stranger in an airport again. And like, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, like where we can get to this point. So people want to do the right thing too. Are people hugging strangers in the airport? I didn't mean to say that. Damn it. I meant to say like I will, hugging I will each never other in the airport. Hug a stranger in okay, the I was picturing <laughs> That's what I mean we say that. So we can get to the point where we're hugging each other in an airport or shaking hands with a stranger. There we go. I did have a business meeting last week where people were like, we're all masked, and then some guy like reached out his hand and then Aaron was like, We're not shaking hands. And I was like, Ah, so weird but it is I don't know I think you have to give people something to hope for also but I I understand the point of the responsibility too it also depends what kind of art you're doing I guess thanks Dan for being our amazing guest and for reading the guide with us my pleasure if you have any questions for Peter let us know (laughs) Peter call us back please (laughs) please come back to the group I hope you're okay Peter
if you follow us on Instagram at booktalk underscore podcast on the gram, you will know that I have been ripping through books. I have one more to even update. And that is because I am ill and I have been ill since Katie was here. Not pointing any fingers, Katie. (laughs) Okay, I did not get you sick. I feel perfectly fine and have had no symptoms. So I think that you got sick somewhere else by somebody else. Um, is it COVID or did you get a test yet? It's not COVID. It's some like wicked cold mixed with allergies, I think. I truly don't know. It's bizarre. Well, I hope you feel better soon and take some time to actually rest. Have you actually taken any days off work or rested at all? So I took off mostly Friday and then I did nothing yesterday and I did almost nothing today. So I think I'm getting somewhere I hope tomorrow I'm feeling better yeah okay well at least you'll have the whole bed to yourself tonight and you can get a good night's sleep I don't sleep well when Dan's not here yeah I agree I think that having the bed all to yourself sounds good in theory but it's not as nice or comfortable as having the person home but hopefully you can just take some meds and knock yourself out and get a good night's sleep what about you what are You also just finished. So yeah, I read two books. I finished group on my extremely delayed flights to California, which was great and also bad because then I didn't have any more books to read in California. Um, But I loved group. It was so chaotic and ridiculous. And I am just like truly shocked still that that is a real group therapy. Like Dr. Rosen is a real person. This actually is how people are like, you know, and I'm happy for them. This is how they're healing and working through it. But it is insane. That group is insane. And it's so chaotic. I just, I still can't believe it's a memoir. And I want everybody to read it because I want to talk about it all the time with everyone. Um, But yeah, so I'm so glad I read that one and I devoured it. And then next, when I got to California because I didn't have any more books, I was searching the house for a book and I found one randomly. Um... It's by someone named Nicole. I can't think of her last name right now. She's Italian. Um, and it's called Now I See You. And it's about, um, it's her memoir as well. So she is going blind slowly. She gets the diagnosis when I think she's like 19 or something like that. And basically they're like, you have 10 to 15 good years. Um, and so it's really just following her journey and kind of like the stages of grief when she's in denial that that's happening, when she's really mad that's happening. Um, kind of all the way through her acceptance of it um, and her like acceptance of herself. So it was, I mean, it is, it's sad. Like she was cited and now she's losing that and there's nothing, it's not a story that ends with that being fixed. Um, But I do still think it was, it was really like heartwarming and her perspective was sweet. And the, you know, her partner who she has through this whole book and her three little children and her journey acceptance to acceptance with them and, um, with not feeling kind of like a failure as a mom, et cetera, is, is very sweet and heartwarming. And I think you should read it. Oh, nice. I would be interested to read that because my advisor, Sheena is blind and I know a little bit from her perspective. So she was sighted until she was like eight or nine. Um, and now she is completely blind. So like no like sense of light at all. Um, but she does pretty much anything and everything that you can think of she travels a ton she loves to go on bike rides she has this like tandem bike and people like go on bike rides with her she loves doing that she loves working out you know I think it's just an interesting um 
perspective because I think we rely she she also will say this sighted people rely so much on their eyesight and they think that everything they see is real and there's so much you know there's so much other ways to get information and to navigate the world than just through eyesight but yeah I agree in the book it really does talk about how when she's losing her sight she has to start using her other senses and a lot of the book is about her really being in denial about that and not wanting to use any any other aids to kind of help her navigate this world. Um, and I think she finally comes to terms with it when she could be putting her children at risk um, and really being like, how do I, what kind of person do I want them to see me as? Um, and is it the person who's running away from this, the person who's bravely making, you know, this decision to ask for and accept help? And, you know, we all are lacking in, not that she's lacking, but we all have different ways that others can help us and different ways that we can help them and different strengths and things. And so I think that it's just a really sweet journey. Mm. So yeah, that is what I have been reading. Um, so what have you been reading? I know you've been rushing through these books, maybe not rushing, but reading so many of them. So tell us all about them. The first book I finished was The Guide, obviously. The second book is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. And is one of my favorite like life advice um, people. If you haven't listened to her or heard of her before, she has two really good episodes on Tim Ferriss's podcast where she talks about like her greatest hits, which she also talks about in this book. But Bird by Bird is like life advice and advice for writers specifically about how to approach writing, how to structure your life with writing. And because writing is such a big part of my academic career and pursuits I found it really really helpful I don't know if I would read that book if you're not a writer but maybe you dream of becoming a writer and she has lots of helpful tips about how to do that and how to start writing I love that and I love her and then I finished L. Allison Heller's book The Neighbor's Secret which we have lots of thoughts about and we'll talk about maybe some other time wink wink <laughs> Um, I ripped through that towards the end when things were like when things were collapsing and you know oh my god we're getting close things are wrapping up I was like devouring it so I really had to know what was going to happen and then similarly I had started Casey McQuiston's book One Last Stop a while ago I think I got it like almost immediately after it came out and then I just couldn't I got stuck Um, it reminds me of you and Outlawed like I just didn't get into it And I stopped essentially right before you find out the sort of sci-fi weirdness that underlies the rest of the plot. And once you get there, I think it really took off, but the beginning was a little bit slow. But I just loved, I loved the characters in this book. I loved the like family that they have. I loved obviously all the like Brooklyn, New York, Q-line, like Brooklyn to Chinatown. I just like loved that whole world that um that Casey built and I also feel like I said about red white and royal blue if I did not know that much about the topic at hand I probably would not have cared that's how I felt with this book I don't know anything about electricity don't even ask me how the subways work I truly don't know I know the third rail just from like the expression the third rail so I was like great I'm here for it supercharge the like electricity and see what happens I don't know like none of that I don't know the story about that or how the subways work I feel if I did maybe I would feel a little bit less into it um and I also don't know a ton I'm not a huge sci-fi reader so the like space-time continuum which I won't spoil too much of how that's involved but it is 
that part I was just like okay that's what we're dealing that's what we're doing with that's what we're doing here. I agree. I don't have the same problem that you have <laughs> when you're reading stories about being concerned if they're real or not. Um, so I was immediately into the story. And one last stop, I was like, I don't care about electricity. What even is a continuum? This is all fine. I believe it. I'm in. Sign me up. I was just like so obsessed with their story, their friends, their life. Um, I just thought it was so sweet. And there was so much like build up and butterflies between the two of them. I just... I loved it. I loved their story and I just loved the ending. Um, Casey McQuiston is an excellent writer and I love anything that they write. So big fan, come on our podcast. <laughs> I really liked the ending too. I won't say too much because I don't want to spoil it if you haven't read it, but there's a couple of twists. I think she does keep you or they keep you guessing as you go and you don't quite know. You think you know, but you don't really know. And I just I liked I really liked the ending. They wrapped it up really well. They tied all the loose strands and we had such amazing like side cast of characters. I loved I want to go to this party. I want to go to this party so bad. (laughs) I totally agree. I just want to be all their best friends. I want to be at that party. I want to hang out with them. Yeah, it was good. It was definitely good. Um, Yeah, so that's it. I think I am on to this other book now called The Power, which was recommended to me by somebody in one of my writing groups. That was what they said was one of their favorite books. So again, if you tell me what your favorite book is, I'm going to get that from the library and I'm going to read it. So I'm excited. That's my next book. Yeah, I have no idea what I am reading next. You read all the books I sent home with you? I did not read all the books that you gave me. I have not read any of the books you gave me except for group. Um, But what I meant was I have a huge to-be-read file and I don't have any plans. So I need to go down and see what I'm thinking, what I want to read next. Well, we have exciting announcements. Wait, what is our announcement? (laughs) Our special episode. So we have a special episode coming out soon, which we are super excited for. We read and loved, and you've heard us talk about for weeks, the book Outlawed by Anna North. And we were lucky enough to have Anna join us on the podcast to talk all things about this book and its characters and her writing um, a not fully true historical fiction book. Um, I loved getting to talk to her, and I cannot wait for y'all to hear it. So our um, episode about Outlawed will come out on the 31st. We're then going to start reading Once There Were Wolves on November 7th. So get your copy of the book. We'll start reading on the 7th. And the first episode about our next book club read, book club read will come out on November 14th. How the fuck is it November? Okay. Okay. Bye. See you next week. Bye. See you all. uh, See you with Anna next week. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. Well, those are our thoughts on the river. Thank you, Dan, for being our esteemed guest. Uh, It's the guide. Oh, my. What did I say? Erica does this every time. (laughs)
Oh my god. <laughs> we could not get through a guest episode without her mispronouncing or saying the wrong author or book. So Sorry, my brain works too fast and sometimes it makes substitutions. Okay. Moving on. Cue the music. 